0: 1 Peter 2.24, it says, By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Not you will be healed, or you are going to be healed. It actually says that you were healed. So what that says is that God has actually given you full and complete healing before you even need it. So your healing is actually already done. He's not holding back on you. So if you need healing... It's not a supply problem. It's a receiving issue. Because he's actually already given you the healing that you need. You just need to get into that position to receive it. And as I read through this, I realized that this actually works in the financial realm as well. That if you're looking for a financial breakthrough, you know God's already done that. Because it says that Jesus became poor. Why? And we often focus on that as a church, and the church universal talks about, oh, Jesus became poor, so he was poor, so we should be poor. No, no, the rest of the verse is actually really important. And the context of him becoming poor is actually really important because he wasn't poor on earth by our standards. He was poor by heavenly standards because he came out of a place where... Gold is the paving bricks. You know, I've got extra paving bricks stacked up on the back of my house. Why are they sitting there? Because they're not really worth anything. They're worth something to me that if I crack a paving brick or I've got to replace or want to do a small section, I've got a few there. (coughs) Other than that, they have no real value. Maybe someone, you know, might throw 50 cents a brick at me or something for, for the small stack. But it's not exactly going to change my life if I sold my paving bricks, is it? But heaven is paved. The spare bricks they've got are made of gold. That's where Jesus came from when he came down to earth. That's how he became poor. He gave up the gold bricks. But you know what? When the wise men rocked up, they rocked up with some gifts. It wasn't necessarily three. There was probably more. They didn't have just three camels. They came to honour a king. When you come to honour a king, you come with great wealth. The Queen of Sheba had something like was 30 camels or something. Plus the donkeys and everything else laden with goods when she came to honour Solomon. And these guys were coming to honour the king of kings. They would have come with great wealth. It's estimated, and the scholars can't agree, but it's somewhere between 4 million and 400 million. It's not bad when the starting figure is 4 million. That's the lower end. Jesus wasn't poor. That's how he started. So it says that Jesus became poor. The next part of the verse is really important. Why did he become poor? So that we might be what? Rich, it says. And that rich is not a spiritual term. Like we spiritualize, oh, because we're spiritually rich. Because we were poor in our sins. And now we're rich because we have God. And so we give everything up and have nothing for him. No, it's not that. That word rich means material possessions. It's talking dollars. That's so. If you think about that, Jesus has already become poor. So he already gave up the wealth of heaven to come to earth. So that what? We might be rich so that's already done as well just like your healing's already done according to first peter 224 that you were healed he's already become poor so therefore you are already rich so again it's not a supply problem it's a what a receiving problem it's our error it's our stuff we have an issue in receiving and it's the way we think and as i heard this passage we're going to read in a minute i realized that i expected god to do things slowly You know, that he was going to grow my faith through this and, and it was going to be a step-by-step step and then one day they'd get the breakthrough. And, and that's actually really bad thinking because that's really based on works and my effort. But God's supply is not based on my effort. It's based on his grace. Right. Where's Sarah? Do you you no, what does she said when she first came, we first came in? What was that statement she said? I didn't have a pen to write it down at the time. It was, the, it was a great statement. I'm going to grab it from you in a minute because I want to put that. But anyway, let's go to 2 Kings 4, verses 1 to 7. Helps if I get the right page. All right, this is Elisha. Elisha is the prophet of the time, he's the man of God at the time. This is a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets because they had a school of prophets and all the prophets would hang out and, and, and they, they were called the sons of the prophets and they would learn how to move in prophetic giftings and how to minister and so on and they would go throughout the, the countryside ministering. All right. And so Elijah was sort of one of the, the head guys of the area. And so a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. So her husband was one of the sons of the prophets and he's died. And you know your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my sons to be his slaves. In other words, this guy married with a couple of kids, and he's run up a debt. Maybe he owes a mortgage on his house. He's got a few debts, you know, a couple of credit cards, that sort of thing. He owes some money, and she has no means of being able to pay it. Because he possibly received a bit of money through the work he did, and that's how he paid his debts. But he's got nothing left. He's gone. He's dead. And she's got no income. Now, the price in that time is if you could not pay your debts, they would come and take your assets. If your assets didn't cover your debts, they could take your children and they would work as slaves to work off the debt that you owed. So she's got a couple of young sons and this guy is going to come and take her sons and they're going to be in slavery. But the reality of this is, if you think about it, is her sons are in slavery working off the debt that she owes, but she still has nothing to live off. She's still going to be in poverty and probably lose everything that she's got. So she's in a dire strait. Now what I find interesting is when most people get in this situation, you know where they don't go? They don't go to God. They don't go into the church. They don't come and sit down with us and say, Hey, you know, you're our pastors, this is our situation, can you pray for us? You know what they do? They go and try and work it out themselves. They take another job and suddenly they're working on Sunday mornings and Sunday afternoons and they're working at night so they can't be in a church, they can't be in a connect group and they disconnect from God because they've got to sort it out themselves. And then they get upset at God and say... Where is God? Why is he doing anything about this? But when you disconnect from God, you disconnect from the supply line. You disconnect from what he has for you. He says in the New Testament, he says, do not neglect meeting together. In other words, don't cut off your support system. Doors, period. And for my next trick. <laughs> so she can't pay. So she comes to Elijah and says, I need your help making a couple of payments. I reckon she's probably looking for maybe, you know, a bit of a, you know, a, bit of a pension plan. From the sons of the prophets, you know, you've got this prophet school going, people give in to that. Do you think maybe you can take a little bit and, you know, we can have like a bit of a pension thing going, a superannuation type thing you know, and you give us a little bit and maybe we can pay our debts off and work our way through. But Elisha looks at her and says, what shall I do to you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? So he doesn't respond how she expected. Isn't that God? We go to God and we say, God, this is the situation. And then he brings up stuff that has nothing to do with it. You ever noticed that? It's like what are you talking about? You know, this is my issue. And God goes, great. And then he starts to talk about something else and we go, this, and we get frustrated with God, we walk out. She could have done that at this time. Instead, she answers and she says, all I've got in my house is some oil. I've got a jug of oil. No, we're not talking, you know, a big vat in the corner. She had a small, like a bottle of oil. That's it. That's her whole household. And he says, Go and borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels, don't gather just a few. And when you come in, shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and she shut the door behind her and her sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Man, this woman's got guts. Imagine if you came and, you know, you sit down here and you said, look, we're about to lose our house and, you know, we're about to lose this and that. And I said, what have you got? And you said, well, I've got a bottle of oil. I said, great, go and get every container you can find from everyone you know. Really? And then just start pouring the oil into this. I mean, she would have been sitting there going, huh? Think about it. If I said, just grab everyone's Tupperware containers, line them, fill your whole house with them, and then just take that little bottle of oil and just start pouring it. Wouldn't you be tempted to go, drop, drop, drop? I'm selling Tupperware containers stained with oil. (laughs) I mean, and that takes a bit of guts because it wasn't just what containers she had. She had to go and see her neighbours and say, hey, can I have a pot? Got any spare containers? And she had to keep asking and asking until her house was filled with containers. Then look what happens. She's pouring them out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full. So the oil multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. She said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's no other vessel. So the oil ceased. That's the point. You always wish you got one more container in it. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. I want to pick up that last verse. She came and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell oil, pay your debt. She came looking for a payment. God cancelled her debt. But not only did he cancel her debt, you and your sons. Live on the rest. He took care of her for the rest of her life. From one little jar of oil, he cancelled every debt she had. And not only that, he paid every bill she could ever have in one instant. In one instant. This is the God we serve. Ephesians 3.20 says what? That our Father can do super abundantly, exceedingly above and beyond anything you can dream, think, or imagine. That is how we've got to start thinking about God. You see, we've, we're not meant to be sitting here thinking, oh, I can do this and I can do that. But it's actually, what do I have that God can use? What do I have that I can surrender to him? Because you see, your life is actually a partnership with God. That's the covenant part. Let, let me touch on this because I'm really worried that I'll go for an hour on it. So if I go too long, just throw something and say, okay, we're off topic here. But it's really understand, important to understand your covenant with God. This woman understood that she had a covenant agreement. You see, under the old covenant, It went something like, you find Deuteronomy 28 starts with this. It says, if you obey the Lord your God and do whatever his statute says or whatever his word says, then all these blessings will come upon you. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed when you go in. You'll be blessed when you come out. Blessing means God's unmerited favor poured out upon you super abundantly. So when it talks about blessing, it's not just this word of, oh, that's a nice word. It's saying that God is super abundantly supplying all your needs over and above what you can handle. And as he says further on in that passage, that it will overtake you. So much so that you can't keep up with what God's doing. He says in another section, he says that the reaper overtakes the sower. So you'd be out there sowing one lot of harvest, And they're already reaping in their previous harvest. And the two are just clashing with each other because there's so much coming in. That's how God sees you. It's not within your natural means. And we're sitting here thinking, oh, this is all I can do. This is all I have. Covenant is a partnership. That's the old covenant. That was what Jesus held with the Jews. Anyone here Jewish? All right, the covenant is not yours. You've got a better one. You see, we're too busy living and thinking under the old covenant that says, I have to do everything right so that God can bless me. That is a Jewish covenant. It actually doesn't apply to you. You're all a bunch of Gentiles. Do you know that? According to the Bible, you're a bunch of Gentiles. So therefore... You doing the right thing does not invoke the blessing of God. You have a better covenant. See, there was a covenant. Covenant's the agreement. It's a contract. You do the right thing, God blesses you. You walk away from God, you walk out of God's blessing. And it says all these curses will come in you. You'll get sick, you'll be broke, you'll build a house and someone else will live in it. You'll save up, but someone else will, you know, you'll, you'll store up your food, but someone else will eat your food. It goes through all those things. That when you step out of sight of God's will, you step out of his blessing and you end up in not a good place. But Jesus came to actually bring a new covenant. He says in Galatians 3 that when he died on the cross, he became a curse for you. Yeah. That every curse that has been put upon this earth no longer applies in your life. And you see, the covenants are assigned in blood. You know the old Indian, you, know, the, you ever do that? The blood brothers. You know, they slash their wrists and they put their wrists together. It's a blood covenant. We will look after each other for the rest of our lives. Jesus is your blood brother. But he shed his blood. You don't have to shed yours. You see, the price for the new covenant was blood. And he, when he died on the cross, he sealed a new covenant for you. That says you actually don't have to live a perfect life for God to bless you. That's good. You just have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbour as yourself. That's all God asks of you, yeah. mm-hmm. is love. Yeah. And his side of the agreement is what? Doing super abundantly more than you can ask, think, dream or imagine. That by the stripes of Jesus you were already healed. That you became rich because he became poor upon the cross for you. That he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You have a new covenant. You have a new agreement sealed in blood. You know, we call the Bible the Old Testament and the New Testament. Testament is another word for will. When is a will invoked? When somebody dies, right? So we have a new will. But you don't have to wait till you get to heaven for the will to be enacted because Jesus already died. And when he died, the new will came about. You're under the new covenant. You're under the new will. And in that it says... That you are a child of the Most High God. You are a child of the King of Kings. The King of Kings. Think how wealthy a king is. He is the King of Kings. They serve him. He says all the cattle is mine. The silver and the gold is mine. And I share it with my children. So any debt that you have is actually already cancelled under the new covenants. Because you see, the old covenant is fulfilled. So you receive the blessings of the old covenant and more. And under the old covenant, debt was cancelled. Not only that, but they walked in blessing. Look at this woman. Her debt was cancelled, and every bill in the future for the rest of her life was already paid in one day. Oh, you're not getting this. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen, as they're saying. Let's go over that. Oh, okay, we need some more. Acts, sorry, for 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's look over to page. And the sons of the prophets, so here's all this group of prophets Elisha's with, said to Elisha, see now the place where we dwell for us is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, let every man take a beam from there, let us make there a place where we should dwell. Maybe we should go and do that, what do you reckon? Head down by the river and grab a few trees and build a, bit of, build a bigger place. So he answered, go. Go. Huh? Oh, sorry, verse 1. 2 Kings 6, verse 1. I was reading through this, man. The amount of things that just happens like that with this guy. He's walking with God. People come to him and they're, bam, healings like that. Provision like that. That's how God meant it to be. So verse 3, the one said, please consent, go with us. And he said, I'll go. So they went with them. So he went with them. And they came to Jordan. They were cutting down the trees. So they're cutting down some trees to build a new place for them all to live in. And to do the school of the prophet thing. Verse five. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell in the water, and he cried out and said, "Lest master, for it's borrowed." The guy's in trouble. He borrowed a friend's axe. It's got a good old iron head on it, so it's an it's an expensive axe. And he's sitting there chopping away. You know, hate that. Have you ever done that? You're chopping away, and the axe head comes off and goes flying. The most frustrating part about it is you realise you've got to get the thing to stay back in again. (laughs) Find a wedge to put in the top to make sure. (laughs) But this guy's dilemma is even worse because he's borrowed the axe. The most expensive part of the axe, the axe head, has gone flying off. It hasn't just landed in front of him, it's landed in the river. And he's going, oh man, we're thinking, I'll get the scuba gear out. Time to go diving, you know, this is an expensive axe head. And so he cries out, the guy is now in debt. He owes for an expensive axe. It wasn't a cheap bit of machinery for them. So verse 6, the man of God says, where did it fall? And he showed the place. And he cuts off a stick and he throws it in there and the iron floats to the top. God just canceled his debt with a stick. He'll use anything. I was sitting there last night thinking, why did he throw a stick in there? You know why I reckon he threw a stick in there? Because he saw the stick floating and it released his faith because he had a visual reminder. Because sticks don't make iron float. I don't know about you, but I've never seen an axe head floating just because it had a bit of wood lumped to the end of it. Don't believe me? Go get yourself an axe head, find a big thing of water, throw it in. Make sure the stick's in there nice and tight. It ain't going to float. So he picks He says, therefore, he said, pick it up yourself. He reached out his hand and he took it. This is the God. He not only takes care of where you've been and the debt you've got, he will take care of anything that comes your way if you walk in faith with him. Yeah. It's like the word that Annette said. Joey's going to read the word out. <laughs> it's taken over. Okay, Nehemiah. <laughs> like the word that Annette gave this morning, straight from God, that you've got to put your sail up. The sail is faith. The sail has said, I will, I will do things God's way, that when things come my way, I'm going to run straight to God. Yeah. And if you don't know how to do that, then come and see Dale and I, and we'll stand with you will be the man of God. All Elisha is doing is being the intermediary between them and God and connecting them to God yeah. so that God can work and cancel this woman's debt, get this guy out of debt, and doing it like that because yeah. that's the God we serve. Yeah. The problem is we have the wrong thinking. My sister behind the curtains, very supportive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, are, we, are we getting this? Is it sinking in? Because I feel like the fate's about here. I want to get it up here. All right, Nehemiah, let's go. One more. Nehemiah Nehemiah 5. If you're looking for Nehemiah, it's just before Job. So you sort of get Psalms, Job, Esther, Nehemiah working backwards. If you've got your Bible app, then it's easy. Just scroll through, find Psalms, go back a few, and there it is. Tap on it. Nehemiah 5. Now, you want a bit of context here. All right, these guys have been totally wiped out. They've been, they've been taken over by one country and then another country's taken them over. They've been wiped out by all these kings. The place is desolate, nothing is there. Nehemiah, he was cupbearer to the king. Yeah. All right, so he used to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned before the king died. Yeah. Wow. So if it was poisoned, he died instead of the king. Nice job, that one. But he comes in one day and he's upset, and the king says to him, Why are you upset? And, and he says, well, my, my city where I come from is ruined. And so the king actually sends him back. This guy goes from being poison tester to actually going back and, and leading this whole area and rebuilding the city. And he gets back there and they start rebuilding the city and, and it's just devastated, The People are wiped out. Nothing's left. And in this, and it says in the middle of it, there's a whole lot of guys who are oppressing, like it's like us together and, and half of us owning the land and the other half having to work for the other half. All right, that's the context. Verse 1, chapter 5, Nehemiah 5. And there was a great outcry of the people and their wives against the Jewish brethren, for they were those who said, We are sons, our daughters, and many, therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. And there are also some who said, We have mortgaged our lands and vineyards and houses that we might buy grain because of the famine. So things are really bad. The houses are destitute. There's a famine on, and they've mortgaged everything, they've borrowed everything they can, to just to buy food to put on the table. Verse five. Yet now our flesh is the flesh of our brethren, our children is their children. Indeed, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been bought into slavery. It's not our power to redeem them, for other men have our lands and vineyards. In other words, we're so destitute, our kids are having to be sold off as slaves to work in these vineyards just so we can get some money to put some food on the table. And it wasn't from a foreign power. It was from those in their own world. And Nehemiah, became very angry, verse 6, when I heard their outcry and these words. Now this is the good bit. After serious thought, I rebuked the nobles and rulers and said to them, each of you is exacting usury from his brother, so I called a great assembly against them. And I said to them, according to your ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who are sold to the nations. Now indeed, will you even sell your brethren? Or should they be sold to us? Then they were silenced and found nothing to say. In other words, he's saying to them, what the heck are you doing? Why are you extracting money and profits and slavery upon your own people? Verse 8, and I said to them, according to our ability, we have redeemed our Jewish brethren who were sold to the nations. In other words, those who were sold off to other countries, we've redeemed them and brought them back. But now we're doing it in-house. Now indeed, we even sell your brethren or should they be sold to us? They were silence, found nothing to say. Verse 9, then I said, what are you doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Verse 10, I also with my enemies and my servants am lending them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Now restore to them, verse 11, even this day their lands, their vineyards, their olive groves, their houses, and also a hundredth of the money and the grain, the new wine, the oil, that you charge them. And they said, we will restore it and we will require nothing from them. In other words, we're going to give them back everything that is theirs. We're going to pay a hundredth for everything they paid us and we're not going to take anything back. We're going to cancel every debt. We're going to give them back their sons and their daughters. We're going to make families whole again. We're going to restore lands. We're going to restore the money that we've taken. Verse 12, they said, we will restore it. We require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests, and they required no from them and they would do according to the promise. And so he challenges them and verse 1, they said, they did it and they actually all did it. In one day. People went from we have nothing, we are mortgaged to the hilt, our sons and daughters are like slaves to those around us just so we can put some food on the table. They went from that to debt-free, own home, lands back and money in the bank. Isn't that God? They're coming to Nehemiah and they're going, we're under this burden, can you help us with the burden? Help us make the payments. And God says... I don't make payments, I cancel debts. Not only do I cancel debt, I bring more over and above that so that you have money in the bank, your family is restored and whole, and you can go forward in blessing. That's the God we serve. This is still the old covenants. We have a better covenant. Oh, you're not getting this. Before this day is over, God can cancel every debt you have, put you in your own house and have money in your bank and restore your family at the same time. He did it for that woman in one day. He helped that guy with whatever came his way in one day. He did it with a whole nation in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think maybe he can handle yours today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We're here. We've got to get higher. Yeah. I want you to walk out of here expecting. Yeah. Right now I feel like you're believing. I want you expecting. That's right. yeah. Can we get to expecting? Can we get there? Yes. Yes. You sure? Yes. Yes. Good. Yeah. I, I heard it. a story this week of, um, was talk- of a couple who were driving. They're in the US driving through a country area and there's a whole lot of cars going down and there was this limo broken down the side of the road. And everyone's just driving past. while the guys there hood up, you know, working on it. And this couple just said, how about we just stop and help out? So they pulled over in front of this limo and, and jumped out and talked to the limo driver and said what he can do, and, and they said, you know, this is what's wrong," and so on, and, and so they end up helping him out and getting himself on the road, and, and, and so on. While they're doing all this, out jumps Donald Trump from the back of the limo. And so they are chatting with him, and they sort of helped them out and got him on their way, and you know before he drives off, he turns to them and says, I want to help you out. Do you guys have a mortgage on your house? They said, yeah. He says, I'm paying it today. Mm. All they did was love their neighbor. They didn't even know if they could help. All they did was love their neighbor. And by the end of the day, their debt was gone. That's the God we serve. Yeah. Now you can go find the limo down the freeway, go up and down, see so you can find one. The... <laughs> you see, it's actually just about doing what God has called you to do. Yeah. About taking what you have. This woman with the oil, God took what she had and used it to bless her. Yes. She thought she had nothing But a bit of oil. That's all she says. I've got nothing but a little bit of oil. You may look and say, but you don't understand. I've got nothing. I'm just this. Or I can just do that. God says, I can take your this, I can take your that, and I can use it to bless you. You don't have to work it out. You don't have to make it happen. You just have to be obedient. How do you be obedient? You just have to do what God's Word says. Two things He says to do. Because He says all of this book, every single word in it is summed up in two things Jesus said. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's all you have to do. You don't have to have your life all together. You don't have to know the Bible Back to front. You don't have to have a brilliant education. You don't have to have a fantastic financial plan. All you have to do is love God. How do you love God? You hang out with Him. You get up in the morning and you say, Morning God, I'm here to hang out with you. And you read a bit of His Word. And you spend a few minutes just praying with Him. You don't have to spend hours. That will come out of natural flow. Just a few minutes saying, hey, God, I'm hanging out with you. I want to be with you. Use me today. Use me to love. That's all you got to do. And then when you walk out your door, probably before you walk out your door, maybe even in your own house, because it's hardest to love those closest to us, isn't it? Well, actually not love them, but show love. But when you come across everybody in your world, how can I show God's love to them? Yeah. You know, it may not be a limo broken down the side of the road. It might be some old decrepit Datsun 180B, you know. It was 180 or 160, whatever they were. Yeah. 180. 180, got it right? Yeah. And they need to lift just as much as anybody else. Yeah. It could be just seeing your neighbour, you know, loading up their car with something and struggling with it. Yeah. I know one guy who went and mowed his neighbour's lawn. He, was mowed, he hated mowing his lawn. I'm with him on that. Mowing lawns is not my thing. But he's out there mowing the lawn and God spoke to him and says, love your neighbor. He says, I don't even really know her very well. He said, just love your neighbor. Go and mow his lawn. So he thought, oh. okay. And, and he said, we didn't have a small lawn, neither did they. So he got the mower and he just kept going through and mowed their front lawn, just kept mowing and mowing and mowing and, you know, then came back in and that was that. So about three hours later, this, this lady comes to the door and and she knocks and it's a neighbor and she says someone mowed my lawn he says yeah that was yeah it was me she goes that's fantastic do you know jesus and he said yeah i do he said she wasn't listening for 20 minutes she was telling him how excited she was about jesus and she was excited because she was supposed to mow a lawn but there was a meeting on that she'd been invited to down at the local church and she, I think she was selling her property or something like this, and so the lawn needed mowing. So because the lawn was mowed, she went with her friend to church and got saved. Wow. Didn't just get saved. They were full on Pentecostal church. She got full of the Holy Spirit, slaying the Holy Spirit, and now was going up and down the street telling everybody about Jesus. Because this guy mowed the lawn next door. You see, you just got to do what God tells you to do. Because he did that, he changed her life. That's love in others. And you see, when you do that, when you use what he's already given you to change somebody else's life, you may think it's much, but God will use it to bless you. He will take your little oil and he will multiply it. He'll float your axe head if he has to. He'll raise up people who will stand in the gap and say, no, your debt is cancelled. He'll do it today. He'll do it before you get home. If you will trust Him. It's a choice. You can live your way or you can live God's way. God's way is a little more scary sometimes. But the rewards are huge. Change how we think, people. We have a covenant agreement. You know when we take communion together? We do that because we're recognizing our covenant. It's not just something we do because Jesus said do this. He said do this to remind us of the covenant. He said when you take that, that cracker, he said this is my body that was broken for you. In other words... Where you should have paid the price for all these things, I've already paid the price. Where you should have paid your debt, I've already paid my debt. Where you should be in sickness, I've already had my body broken for you so that you wouldn't have to be sick anymore. It's a covenant agreement. We're reminding ourselves of the covenant, of who we are in Christ. We are new creation. The old has passed away. The old debt, the old sickness, it's all gone. We are new in Him. And when you take that cup, He says, this is my blood that was shed for you. That it washes away your sin. You see, most people don't believe God will do it for them because they see their sin. Stop looking at it. It's not attractive. You know what? As long as you focus on your sin, you're going to step back into it. Because what you focus on is what you become. You know, they, they complain about kids that are you know, getting more and more into violence and yet we feed them video games and movies full of violence. Yeah. They're saying there's a problem with kids um, in relationships around sex. That it's worse than it's ever been because they say guys don't know how to treat girls. And they're getting into relationships and there's actually abuse going on because they're watching pornography. And pornography is based around abuse. What you focus on is what you will become. So stop focusing on your sin, otherwise you'll step back into it. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. When you feel like you're going there, just say, Jesus. Renew your mind and your path of thinking. And when you look at Jesus, you become like Jesus. Because that's our covenant. The blood has washed away your sin. Your sin is no more. When Satan comes and that thought comes in your head, because that's Satan coming and saying to you, Aha, look at your sin. God is not going to come and condemn you of sin you have already repented of. Yep. Amen. In fact, he never condemns you. He might convict you yeah. and challenge you and saying, Hey, you need to get that out of your life. But he will never condemn you and make you feel bad for your sin. Yeah. You might feel convicted. And that ain't a nice feeling. You know, don't get into the whole thing that God brings sickness and poverty and debt because of your sin. That's not how he disciplines. Yeah. You know, I don't get my kids and my kids do something wrong. That's it. I'm giving you cancer. <laughs> or my kids get upset with each other. That's it. You now owe me $100,000 and you will work like a slave to pay it off. Yeah. See, we laugh at that, but that's how we see God. Oh, he hasn't paid my debt off. I'm struggling. I'm sick. Oh, it must be because I've done something wrong. That's as stupid as me doing that with my kids. In fact, it's more stupid. Because he says, you being evil people, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does our Heavenly Father? So you're not in your situation because of your sin. You're there because of your lack of faith. And you can change that by putting more of this in. It is. I listen. I, my aim this year is to listen to a half an hour of good faith preaching every single day. And I missed a couple of days. So I had to listen to a three-hour sermon the other day. And I love it. You can do it while you're driving. You can do it while you're sitting in bed. You can do it instead of watching TV. But you know what? I'm finding my faith is starting to climb mountains. In fact, it's starting to remove mountains. (laughs) Because I'm putting in the Word of God. You can do the same thing. Just jump on YouTube. I'll send you a list, if you like, of preachers who are great to listen to. Because there's so much on there. It's not costing me a thing. But it's entering into the covenant we have that when we take this communion, when we take this bread, we are saying, I am out of debt. Every need I have is met and I've got plenty more to put in store. Sickness and disease have no authority over my body and I am completely healed by the stripes of Jesus. And even more than that, the money cometh into my hands. And it's not about being greedy and focusing on money. It's about making a difference. God wants you out of debt so you can get other people out of debt. So that you're the guy in the limo. That when he puts you on the side of the road, you can pay somebody's mortgage off. That's how you're supposed to be. We're too busy thinking of ourselves as the guy helping. You're the guy helping. You know, you take the the... I don't care how long I'm going. But you take the situation, you know, the woman with the issue of blood. Remember that? And Jesus walking along and she reaches out and touches his garment and she gets healed completely. After years and years and spending a fortune on doctors, she gets free. And we read that story and we think of ourselves as the crowd or we think of ourselves as a woman. You need to think of yourself as a Jesus. Because you are supposed to be the Jesus now who is setting people free from their sickness. Not the one reaching out to be free, but the one laying hands on so they can be free. That's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be the ones paying off the debts. You want to get someone's attention? Pay their mortgage. Buy them a car. They'll listen to you. Because they can't ignore you. But we're too busy being the ones in the crowd. You were never meant to be in the crowd. You were meant to be the leader of the crowd. You're meant to be like Elisha, the man or the woman of God that people come to and say, I am in dire straits. Help me out. That's your job. That's how you're supposed to love your neighbor. Stop thinking small. Now there's some faith in the room. Hallelujah. We're going to take communion. When you take that cracker, you take it and you say, thank you, God, for my covenant. Just wait, just wait. Take it. Thank you, God. I am healed and whole. Thank you, God. I am super abundantly blessed that it overflows, that you give to me in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing, you pour it in my lap. You give me so much I can't contain it. When you take that cup, you say, I thank you that my sins are no more in my life, and I put my focus on Jesus Christ. That's the covenant we take when we take communion today. Yes. Let's take, take that cracker. And you just go before God before you take it. And you state your covenant. State your covenant. Take that cup. You drink when you're ready. But state your covenant. I am washed by the blood of Jesus. There is no more sin in my life. There is no more sickness in my life. There is no more debt. He said, speak those things that aren't as though they are. Because he's already done it. He's already paid for your sin. He's already paid for your sickness. He's already paid for your debt. Stay your covenant, just drink when you're ready. I'm going to throw my parents on the spot here. Do any of you want to come and tell your journey lately, where you've ended up? <laughs> <laughs> is that all right? Th- this, is, this is blessing in work. Is that all right? Throw you on the spot. Just you it
1: up with. <laughs> where you it up? Yeah, I have desired for a long time to. Um, I don't know, this, do I? It's recording. I've desired for a long time. I've had this picture of. Perhaps I should tell you where I come from. New Zealand and I come from the wettest area in New Zealand, so we have bush galore, and and I have grown up with just being able to walk down in the bush at any time I liked. My parents had a farm, and um, everything was green. And to end up in Kalgoorlie, <laughs> where it's red dust... And they used to say, Oh, look, we'll take the kids out bush. And I thought, the first time, I thought, this is great. But we never ever got to the bush, <laughs> in my estimation. But it was bush to them. And I, but I learned to love it, and I really enjoyed it. But you know, it's the people that make the difference. I mean, when I first got there, I thought, oh, I don't know how I can stay here. And I'd pray to God every day to send clouds because it was so hot. <laughs> um, and... But, you know, you get to know people and you get to... And that's what makes a place. It's, but also, b- within me, I also had that longing for the bush and, and um, over the last few years I, I've had this picture of just bush an area of land just going on and on. And and now we're out at um, CYC Youth Camp. Mm. And how we got there was I had this desire in my heart to go and stay with my brother and his sister-in-law. They live in Perth. They live at Morley. We have never stayed with them in all the years that they have lived there. Uh, Robert and I... We communicate. We don't really go on the same pathway, um, and we would only communicate with them about once or twice a year. We'd be polite. We'd go and you know have a cup of tea with them, and you know just they're brother and sister in law, so we would make that connection. But. Um, about November, I really got this desire in my heart, this, and I know it was from God, go and stay with your brother and sister over Christmas. So I thought, they've never even asked us to come and stay, so I thought, well, this will be interesting.
0: We weren't too sure how much of the area they had anyway that we could
1: stay. <laughs> and uh, so I rang them, and I said, we're coming down for Christmas, uh, can we come and stay with you? Yeah, they were quite happy for us too. We were a bit surprised about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we get there and uh, Robert kind of just talks a lot of the time, just talks. And he said, yeah, okay, hmm. that had never entered our thinking at all. Hmm. Because we were considering moving down, and, but had nothing was opening up. So I said to Keith, "Why don't we ask if we can go and have a look at the place?" So um, he said, "Yeah." So we we did, and we asked Philip and Dale to come with us because, you know, more people in the spirit will pick up if there's something that you should know. And uh, so we went down, and we kind of liked what we saw. Perhaps not visually, because it was needed a jolly good clean. <laughs> um, two guys—well, whoever the guys that were working down there—that's where they would stay. So there was stuff everywhere, wasn't there? And um, it's all overgrown, all outside, and there still is stuff everywhere, but. So we said, um, well, what is, the, is there any possibility that we can come and stay in it? Because we thought if we stay in there, then we can really look at where we want to go and stay, live. So he came back and he talked to the committee. And um, they said, you can have it for $150 a week. Mm-hmm. And that includes your electricity, your gas, yeah. your water... That was beyond what we could ever imagine. (laughs) And then they're talking about the work that Keith can do. I don't know whether any of you know what CYC Youth Camp is and what it is, but it takes in... um, They do before and after school childcare. They have youth camps. I mean, this week there's been a school camp in there.
0: Twenty acres.
1: Actually. Twenty acres of bush, sitting up on a nice slope in the gum nuts. And um, and you, I get up in the morning and I look out. I just sit on the bed and look out, and it's just greenery and. I go at the back in this bush and uh, you know, we just went for a wander yesterday. I said to Keith, show me all the sheds because he's talking about all these sheds. <laughs> didn't know they were there. And he has a workshop that is beyond his dreams now. Um it's got a concrete floor and oh, it's yes. it's got it's about three times the one he had in Kalgoorlie. Um but then I the guy who we had some problems without the plumbing, and so he called the guy and he because Keith wasn't able to fix it, and um, he came and I said, "Look, we've not signed any forms we've not um, you know how do we pay you know and he pointed to Keith and he said, "You aren't you paying anything? he's going to work it off." <laughs> And that would only be six hours of work a week. You know, but before that, you know, so we are just blessed beyond our dreams. Plus, being only 20 minutes away from these guys, and it's just down the road, and we've got another son here, and you know, it's just blessed beyond our dreams.
0: So essentially they went from looking to get like a 400 square metre block with a house on it, you know, and putting this tiny shed on. Dad was even looking at getting rid of... Dad does woodworking and all that sort of stuff and mechanics. He was looking to get rid of most of his stuff because he couldn't fit it on there. And to walking into this where they pay nothing. On 20 acres, middle of the bush, all expenses paid, I mean, Dad's they, now got a sea container, a garage, and it is a massive, massive workshop. And it's far enough that he can, you know, be in his space. <laughs> Which is how he likes it. <laughs> when he's going to the shed, he's going to the shed, you know. This, this is what God does. Yeah, you know, but, but I would ask the... T- sorry, go I yesterday, they can't call me You know. This is what God does. But I would also testify to my parents that, you know, they have been faithful. Yeah. They have done what God says. They have put their sail up and said, whatever you want. Yeah. You know, they, they went and see, so you don't have to do what they did, but they went. And they served as missionaries for a number of years. Then In the church they were in in Kalgoorlie. I mean, the church in Kalgoorlie threw a, down the, the local, you know, one of the best venues in town, threw a big going away, fully catered event 115 people turned up, $50 a head, to say goodbye to them. That's the impact they had because they served. They did what they could do to love God and love others. And it, like I can say, it looked impossible up here. We were driving suburbs. We were looking at houses. We were talking to agents. We were, we were doing everything we could to try and find something that would match something close to what, you know, the best we came was somewhere in the sort of down the bottom of the hills not quite in the bush, but you could sort of see a tree from in the distance, you know, with, with a small sort of shed on the back. But when God's in control and you do what he says, you know, he took what they had. They had a relationship with one guy who just happened to be on the board and went, oh, by the way, here's your dream. Isn't that God? And not only that, but God paid. Not just now, but the future. That's what God will do. All you have to do is love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And love those around you. That's all we're called to do. He'll take care of the rest. That's walking in faith. It's putting the word of God in every day. Praying, hanging out with him every day. And doing what you can do. We're going to take up the offering now because it's powerful to give. Luke 6 says that as you give, it's given back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and overflowing as it poured into your lap. You know, people get upset when we talk about money and offering and, oh, the church just wants money. No, actually, I want your blessing. I want you to be walking in blessing. And this is how God works. He gives by giving. We give ourselves to him. We give ourselves to each other. We give of what we have. And we walk in that blessing. Yeah, thanks. Word of God. How do you say what heaven's saying? You spend time with God so you know what he's saying. And then you speak it over your life. You don't go around saying, I'm broke, I'm poor, I've got nothing. We've talked about that. You go around saying, I'm blessed. In fact, I'm blessed, I can be a blessing. Yes. What God has given me. Don't sit there going, I've got nothing. Say, God, show me what I've got that I can be a blessing. Yeah. Show me what I've got that I can be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Father, we thank you that you are an awesome God. We thank you, Lord. I pray for every, every, every bit that we've just given. Every tithe, every offering given just then. Father, I pray you multiply that back, Lord, a hundredfold. Father, whatever debts are in this room, Father, we speak to those debts right now and we command them cancelled in the name of Jesus. Not just cancelled, Father, but we command in the finances for the future. Not just today. The finances to be a blessing. Lord, we speak supernatural cancellation now in the name of Jesus. Lord, you did it for that woman. Lord, you did it for the guy with the axe head. Lord, you did it for this Jewish community. Father, you are no respecter of persons. You are a respecter of faith. And so we release our faith right now and we speak to the dead, and we command a God, in the name of Jesus, and we receive deliverance from every debt. We break it now. Lord, I stand as the man of God in this place and speak the words of Elisha that every debt is paid and plenty more to live off to be a blessing in Jesus' name on every person here in this place. We bless you and we honour you. We thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. David, come. We're going to pray for David. David's heading off to Canberra.